Uh, good morning. Welcome to church. It's so great to see all your lovely faces, all your lovely eyes and foreheads. It's fantastic. Um, we are continuing in this series on James and Titus, and the title of the series is kind of a faith that works. It's really a practical application or a working out of what we believe or the foundation or core of what we believe and how we respond to life situations reflects the kind of the, is concreteness a word? The concreteness, the solidity, the foundation of our belief and why, how we live matters. And if you were watching or here with us last week, you would have heard uh, James Hansen preach and teach. And I I love the point he made, uh, uh, kind of working out of 1 Corinthians, that you can have all the gifts, all the abilities in the world, but if it's not married with, or it's not coming out of the love that God gives us, then a lot of it, it's, it's, it's useless. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work outside of love. And it's the same thing with our beliefs. If they don't actually match our actions, and if our actions and the words that come out of our mouth don't reflect the Jesus that we believe in, then what are we really believing in? What, what is our foundation? What are, are we building what we believe on? And so we looked at even James 1. Uh, kind of it, it, Again, the focus is not how to avoid trials. Now, James was written to a specific audience going through a hardship that really we can't fully relate to, but we go through hardships all the time. And, and I love the quote that kind of uh, um, inspired this sermon series. It's not the measure, uh, it's not how a, a, a Christian responds in favorable conditions, but rather how he responds in, in, in unfavorable conditions. And, and, and so it's not about avoiding trials or even speak out, speaking out against injustice, but rather how we navigate those difficult and challenging times. Uh, it's different and it should be different for those who believe. And so we looked at James 1 and, and, and the idea of keep, keeping focus. James kind of puts it all in focus but in verse 17 of chapter 1 by saying every good and perfect gift comes from God. We can have that expectation that even in something incredibly difficult that God is working good. And so keeping our eyes set on God, where is your goodness in this situation? Uh, James even said, if we don't know what to do, we can ask God, and he gives us wisdom. Uh, a really easy way to define wisdom is knowledge applied. You know how we can know things, yet not do things? Anyone else like that? Like, you can be really, really smart and really, really dumb at the same time, right? Wisdom is actually applying what you know. And, and, and then the idea of believing and not doubting who we are and who God is, the fact that God loves us regardless, we, like, God can't love us any more or any less. He won't. He won't do that. And, and, and when we believe that, when we ask, believing that God, who is good, who wants good from us, gives good things to us, it, it's powerful. We looked at James 2, how faith is not defined by our words or our confessions, but by our actions. They, they, the, uh, it's, I'm so bad with expressions. Again, uh, um, what is that, you know, talk is cheap or no, walk the talk, something like that. It, it's obvious that you can say one thing, but if your life doesn't reflect it, then it kind of cheapens your words. Uh, we looked at James 3, the power of our words, because words are still important. And we talked about how we can be either thermostats or thermometers. We can even state the obvious with our words or actually change the atmosphere around us. What are we speaking over our marriages? What are we speaking over our work situations, our, our finances, our friends, our relationships? What are, the, what are the words that are coming out of our mouth? Do they reflect change? Do they reflect love? Do they reflect power? Or are we breaking down uh, um, the things around us? And so this morning, I want to look at what actually motivates our actions. I want to speak about our values. And we are in James 4, and so we're going to start in verse 1 in James 4. And this morning, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. 
What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you, ha- what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with this world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And so let's stop there for a second and let's look at two keywords. First of all, we see that there's a war of desire going on. Now, desire kind of defined is a longing, a want, a deep wanting. I want to take hold of it. And we're seeing here that our desires are driven by our priorities or the things that we value. And we're going to look at it a little bit later. But Jesus would tell us that where our treasure is, the very thing we value, that's where our heart is. And our desires are very much directed by our values. And then we see this word world, and specifically friendship with the world. Now, if you have been in church long, and if you're watching or you're here, and maybe uh, um, church culture is kind of new, but you might have, he- you hear catchphrases, and sometimes we just kind of use words, you know, we kind of just say it because that's what everyone has always said, and, and we say worldly or world, or that's of the world. Well, what does it actually mean? Now, the word friendship here, and the reason I'm using the New Living Translation this morning is, is because of how they, they, they just use the word friendship, and I wanted to really point it out. Uh, um, it's actually the word uh, phileo, or, or phileo is the root. And if you, again, are a part of church culture, you would be familiar with that word because it's one of the descriptive words for the word love. Now, in the Greek language, love has many different words, and it implies different things. And so, like, you know how I can love my wife, and it's different than how I love James, you know, hopefully. <laughs> right? And so the, the love that James and I have, well, there's a friendship and a bond there. That, that's phileo. There's a fondness and a connection, that we are connected. You know, I, I, I grew up in church, and I grew up in an Italian church, and we used to sing this song in Italian. I don't know if it has an English connection, but essentially it translates, it, the Italian one is, si ti amo con l'amore del Signore, which simply means, yes, I love you with the love of the Lord, which is funny because it kind of implies that I actually don't like you, but I have to like you. You know what I mean? But, but that's the idea of, of I, I love you with the love of the Lord. It's, it's a connection that says, I am bound to you. I am phileo to you. And so friendship with the world is, is a, a connection and a longing with the world. Now, when the readers would have seen this word world, it, it's literally the word that's used to describe the world. It's, it's not deep. It's not doesn't have this extra meaning. But it actually has a, a known metaphor for the readers listening to it. And, 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 it, would, and it means, uh, um, I have it written down, it's used figuratively and it describes a, 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 um, a whole circle of earthly goods, riches, power and pleasure. It's, 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 the, it's the, the power and pleasure of this, this life, the world. And, and when I was reading this and thinking about this, I just finished watching, not just, but recently finished introducing my kids and my wife actually to the Lord of the Rings. And now who has watched Lord of the Rings? I, I don't take it for granted, even though it's amazing, but it is 12 hours long and most people haven't actually watched it. But uh, J.R. Tolkien, who wrote the book, uh, um, actually used the ring in, in Lord of the Rings to describe that, that idea of world, that attraction, that desire. Now, the ring in this story is forged and given to uh, men of earth, and it's with the promise of power 
and, and, and uh, um, longevity. But really what this ring does is it plays on the evil desires of the people wearing the ring. So the person who has the one ring to rule them all can control them. That's the idea. And uh, I know that most people actually haven't watched Lord of the Rings. So in Lord of the Rings, there's a character. And, and he's known for about you know, 10 hours of the 12-hour thing as, as, as Gollum. But we learned that before he was Gollum, he was actually a person named Smeagol. And so I have a short clip showing his transition from um, uh, Smeagol to Gollum. And so uh, we're just going to play that clip right now. And hopefully our feet doesn't get shut down for playing it. But let's find out. Tolkien used this uh, imagery, even though it would destroy the person wearing it, there was such a strong longing for it. That's where that quote, my precious, comes from. There's still this deep, intense love for it. And why am I using this example? It's because we are broken. We live in a broken world, and that's the idea of sin. Sin has broken. In fact, Genesis describes it as, as eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we are aware of the fullness of both good, and we delight in things, and evil. And there's a love, and there's an attraction to it. In fact, the broken nature of our condition actually longs for the worldly things. And so the readers, when they would hear the word world and, and, and being friends with it, this longing desire for the world, it would speak to the broken nature that even though it destroys us, we like it. <laughs> and, and sometimes I think we need to understand this. Like we speak about sin like it's this scary thing that hides around the corner, but really it, it is missing the mark. It's falling short of God's standard. It is kind of like, it is reducing ourselves to the quickest, easiest pleasure because we like it. Now, if you've ever tried to change your eating habits, we would be incredibly familiar with this. I have heard all the things like sugar is like drugs for your brain, it increases your dopamine, all the stuff, blah, 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 blah. But even though I know that it is harmful for me, I crave cinnamon buns. Anyone else? Like that is like one of my many Achilles heels. Rice Krispie squares, cinnamon buns. I love them sweets and I can have all the goals in the world. I know that it doesn't make me feel good when I eat it. When I eat it, it hurts me. And when I eat it for a long extended period of time, it, it, it does more harm to me than good. Yet I still want it and I still like it. That is kind of an analogy of friendship with the world. So I hope that you kind of understand this. So when, when James is writing to this, he's saying, look, where does these things come from? They, they come from us. Sin isn't something that happens to you. It's something we choose to do because we like it. <laughs> we fall short because it's actually part of our nature. And so when we hear, uh, um, it's been a little while, but when Roland 
When Pastor Roland would preach here, he would talk about even his journey, how we have died to that longing, and we no longer think that way. We no longer crave that way. And he begins to, to tell his own story, how, how he would even say out loud, I died to that way of thinking. It's a reminder that when we say that we have died from our old nature and we grow in our new nature, that's what we're saying. We're saying the old nature that craves and longs for the temporary pleasures that the world has to offer, that part of me actually actually dies, and I'm actually renewed or made new uh, uh, through God. See, it, it's, we will always crave the world until we are fully transformed by the Holy Spirit. And we know the fullness of that doesn't happen until we, we are actually in eternity. But, but right now, we have the Holy Spirit. And it's that transformation power that actually transforms that desire. Kind of making sense? So when you hear that word world and, and a friendship with the world, that's that picture. Now, if we continue reading in James, uh, we'll go on to verse 5. It says this, Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, and the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, just as the scripture says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. So, the imagery that James is using here to describe this is a picture of adultery, which seems like, adultery is like, ooh, that kind of seems a little harsh, right? But what we value makes us unfaithful. And, and I want to get back to that idea of value because we see in verse 6, this is the amazing and beautiful grace of our God. For whatever reason, uh, uh, general, general, totally generally speaking, the evangelical, evangelical church does a really good job of highlighting our broken nature. We are really good at saying we have fallen short of God's glory. But for whatever reason, it feels like we have a real hard time speaking of and actually living out of the grace that we actually live in right now. That even though we're fallen, the solution that God has given us is found through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, is actually the gospel that we profess daily in our lives, and that is God's grace. In fact, the way that it is written, it's written specifically to show that the grace that God gives is actually without measure and without value. It simply means, that, and grace really simply defined is God's favor and his blessing that he just gives us. And it's actually without value and measure, meaning that actually you don't earn it and there is no value to it. So it doesn't mean that because I'm Pastor Sam and I did four years of Bible college, I get more grace than someone who hasn't. Or because I wear a sport coat. You know, actually there's a little bit of stain in my sport coat, so maybe I got a little bit less grace. because you know That's not how grace works. Grace is given in amazing measure. There is is no value. There is no limit to it. God just fully gives grace. And I, and I like to use this analogy. I know it's a completely broken analogy, mostly because I'm not that smart and I'm not a doctor. But uh, um, if you want to picture, grace is kind of like insulin. So picture the scenario. You walk into a doctor's office and your doctor's like, hey, you know what? Right now, diagnosing you with, with diabetes, but we have a medication for you, and that's insulin. 
also, I want to show you a way that you can change the way you live to make your condition better, right? And so a doctor would normally give you kind of like, if you do this, this, if you exercise, change your eating habits, blah, 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 uh, um, you know, you can get better. But also, here's insulin, right? And so you can choose to either make the changes in your life or just continue to use the medication the doctors give you. Now, as you progress uh, with it, your dosage increases, right? It, it, they give you more. Now, both, in both scenarios, if you choose to make healthy changes or you choose not to change, you're still living in both scenarios. But one is truly living more than the other. That's grace. Grace is given without measure until we need more grace. And grace is not designed for us to stay there. And I think this is why we have a hard time. Because sometimes when people talk about grace, it sounds like, well, you make grace cheap. No, grace is anything but cheap. Grace is life-giving. And we need to understand something. And, and this needs to be in the context of it all. And I spoke about it in our, our core value sermon series. But if you haven't listened to it, I want you to hear this. There's literally nothing you can do that can make God love you any more or any less. None of this that we're talking about this morning is about pleasing God, but rather it's about how we actually live in the fullness of what God has given us. It's about thriving in how we live today, not making God love us any more or the God love us any less. And I feel like sometimes we miss the plot. The desire and the will of God is that we would thrive in this life. In every scenario, regardless of the storm, he has made a way that we can navigate that storm with favor, goodness, and grace. And how we live reflects that. And grace is given to us because when we fall short, we don't have to suffer the consequences of a shipwreck. We actually walk and move in grace. Grace is given. And if you look at verse 7 and verse 8, James begins to highlight really practical things. Humble yourself. Resist. Come close. Draw near. All those words are descriptive words for uh, the word repentance. And again, another fun Christian word, and I, and I keep repeating myself, but repentance simply means to turn. It's the picture of going the wrong way. So if sin is missing the mark and going the wrong way, repentance means to turn. Now, if you've ever experienced walking off a trail, and the further you go off trail, when you turn back, the further it takes you to get back. Has anyone ever experienced that? I have once walked about nine kilometers the wrong direction. That means I had to walk nine back. In fact, I actually took a shortcut and went through bushes and it hurt a little bit. But anyways, we, but this is what grace means. That we, Even though we walk nine kilometers the wrong way, grace makes it so the minute that we decide to turn, we're right there back on the right path. Regardless of how far you've gone, how far you've traveled, how far you think, Sam, you don't know what I have done. You don't know what it looks like. You don't know the desires of my heart. Regardless of all of that, grace says the minute that you choose to turn, God is there. God is near. None of this is a journey to discover God because God has already discovered you. It's actually a journey of learning who you really are and living to the fullness of who God has created you to be. Understand this. God has traveled the great measures to reach you. He is already there. Now, grace empowers us to live up to what God has already given us, who he's already created us to be. Friendship with the world is like trying to take a shortcut to find what really fills us. 
when God has given us the solution for that, God who made us, God who is God, right, Stephen? He is God who made the heavens and the earth. And his desire for you is that you would thrive in the very thing he created. The one who knows how it's done lays out how we should live to experience the fullness of life. Friendship with this world is like the opposite. We have a God who longs for you to thrive, and we have an enemy who doesn't want to see you thrive. And one of his strategies is replicating life. Our enemy wants to replicate life. He wants to replicate thriving. And he offers us something that's attractive to our fallen nature. And even though it satisfies in the short term, the fruits of those desires are destruction. And that's what we're seeing in the beginning of James. James is saying, look at the fruit of your life. The destruction that's coming out of it is the fruit of your actions. It's the fruit of your values. It's the fruit of your desires. But there's greater fruit that we can walk into. And God gives grace generally. So when we resist the devil, when we choose to turn that life is automatically available. It is less about focusing on not what to do. Is that English? And more about a renewing of our mind, a a, a resetting our value. How do we want to live? What do we truly value? It's really hard to explain it, but let me tell you this. That as my personal story, I, I still have struggles. I, I'm so far from perfect. But I have way less struggles than I did, I would even say about you know six or seven years ago. And the key is not because I have developed crazy, crazy willpower. In fact, those who know me, the fruit of self-control is very much lacking in a lot of areas in my life. But when I begin to shift my attention not on what I'm not supposed to do, but rather grow into the person that God has made me able to grow into, I began to do the very things that hurt me less. Does that kind of make sense? When we understand ourselves under the value of how God sees us, and when we value the same things, you know, it's like that that hymn, and the things of this world, they go strangely dim. It changes. It's a little sidebar, Sam. So let's continue on. I, and I want to go to that verse that Jesus uses to describe this. It's found in actually Matthew 6. Starting in verse 19, it says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Whatever you treasure, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. The desires are impossible to fill if those things are always a moving target. (laughs) The things that give quick fulfillment don't last long. Sugar highs crash. Am I right? (laughs) Right? What's the Lay's commercial? Do you remember the old, I I hate Mark Messi. Oh my gosh. And he had the chip. I bet you can't just eat just one. Right? Who's ever opened a bag of chips and is like, oh, I'm just going to have one? Especially Pringles. Man, what are they putting Pringles? Right? It's never just one. one co- I'm just going to have one cookie. 
I'm just going to have one. It's never enough. and It's always moving. It'll never satisfy because you can never have enough. There's a proverb, and I didn't include it, but it's one of my favorite. It says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. Hope deferred. Well, when we place our hope in something that's always a moving target, it's never going to be fulfilled. And we wonder why we live life to the point where, man, I just, there is just no satisfaction. Who's felt it? Who's ever been in the place where it feels like I just can't get out of this rut? And, and one of the reasons is, is because we don't know what out of the rut feels like. We think that if I can change my job, if I made more money, if this, if that, if I change this, if I, and those things are fleeting. There's only one thing that can give us true life. And that one thing is Jesus Christ. And when we believe in him, we are filled with his presence. And it's called the Holy Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit, or the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our life, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness, I'm missing one, faithfulness. All those things. That's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is actually working. Now, so many times, we, again, we think about that. We think, those fruit please God, and, and, and they do. But begin to apply it practically. What if in our marriage there was high evidence of those fruit in our marriages? Faithfulness, you know, self-control, those things. Would our marriages benefit? Would our works benefit? Would our relationship benefit? Would our finances benefit? We benefit from the Holy Spirit. We benefit from the transformation that comes with grace and knowing Jesus. We benefit from salvation. And it's so weird, but this is God, and he knows what he's doing. And if I was God, I wouldn't give it so liberally. But I am not God. God is God. And he gives grace to all because this is exactly how he wants everyone to live. But it starts the same way. It starts with recognizing that we have fallen short. We need God's grace. And to, be, and to make a difference in our lives. And this is where, why James then goes here in verse 11 of chapter 4. Don't speak evil against other dear brothers and sisters. I want to repeat that. Because sometimes we think it's our responsibility as a church to speak and judge others. But listen to this. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now, why does James go there? And this is my theory. This is the theory of Sam. I think that it is partly human nature that says it's them, not me. Oh, this is definitely for you, not for me. Good word, Sam. My neighbor needs this. Oh, good word. I can't wait to show my kids this, Sam. Right? It's them and not me. How about for the few moments that we have left here, we imagine this is exactly for me. This is for me. This is the message, and this message is for me, that if I work on me, 
if I focus on the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life, if I take that checklist of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, if I take those nine things, break it down to nine things, and I hold it up to the value of my life and the measure of my life, how many of those things are alive and active? And which of those things need to be more active? Well, how do we do that? Well, James says, if we don't know, guess what? We ask God who gives us wisdom. God, in my marriage, man, all that comes out of me is anger. God, I need self-control. And then God gives grace. And maybe for that next argument, like, wow, I got some self-control. One of the frustrating things about working on yourself is rarely people notice. It takes a while for people to notice, right? My wife didn't even notice that I took me five minutes to yell instead of two minutes. But God sees. And maybe you fall down again. But guess what? Grace is still there. And repentance means the minute we turn, God is there and we're back on the right track. This morning, the desire of God's heart, and, and mine too, is that you would experience the fullness of life in every area that you practically live in. In your finances, in your marriages, in your relationships, in your job, in all that. Regard, wherever your storm is right now, you will go through storms. You will go through trials. Not everything will be good, but God is good. And I promise you that as you continue to work on you and continue to measure yourself by those fruits of the Holy Spirit, we will navigate those storms with greater and greater and greater ease. The point where the evidence of our lives will be thriving. And when people say, why are you thriving? Why are you doing so well? We can then point to Jesus. It's Jesus in me. It is my salvation. It is the Holy Spirit alive and at work in me. So let's begin to transform the area around us, not by changing the people around us, but by changing us, the only equation that we actually have any control over. So let's pray. And, and, and this morning, I want to focus in here kind of on three groups. If you're watching this at home or if you're here this morning and you have never made a decision to believe in Jesus, the Bible says this, that if you believe in Jesus you believe he died and rose again, then you are saved. That, that's the only caveats for salvation. There isn't like a membership club. This isn't Costco. It's literally just belief. And if you choose to believe, then, then you're in. And the minute you believe, Jesus says that he fills you with his spirit. Now his spirit is, 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 is gentle. It doesn't come in to areas of your life unless you want it in. And so part of the salvation process is saying and recognizing that, man, you know what? I am broken. And Holy Spirit, I need you to fix me. I, I need your spirit in me to fix me. If you've grown up in church culture long enough, you would hear the term, Jesus in my heart. That, that is the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's God in us. And it takes humility to recognize that I need a little help. So this morning, I want to pray for you and help you make this invitation. Now, kind of second group, if you're listening to this and, and, and you have spent the majority of your time or your life blaming your problems on people around you, it's never my fault. It's always this situation, that situation, that person, this person. Well, this morning, I'm here to tell you that actually it's probably you. I, I don't mean to say that harshly, but rather to recognize that this grace that God offers is also promised to you. And that rut that you feel in, this cycle of failure over and over and over again, can actually be broken the minute we decide that, God, we need more of you. And I want to pray for you, that you would come to discover how amazing God's love is for you, how accepted you are by God and his grace. 
that wants to transform you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. He is already in love with you. This is accepting the grace that he's freely given to you. A third group, if you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, Sam, woo, I'm all about it. Then let's pray for more because we can have or never have enough. Right, so join me. So if you've never, ever chosen to believe, first of all, I want you to repeat this with me, say it out loud, but also I want you to let us know so that we can give you resources and help you along on this journey together. So first of all, if you've never believed before, just kind of repeat after me. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and you rose again for me. And I need you in my life. Holy Spirit, I'm broken. Would you come and fill those areas? Fill me with your spirit. Help me to grow in love, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in gentleness, self-control, all those, all those fruits, all those areas in my life. Amen. Welcome to the family. That's it. You qualify. Now kind of for the second group. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would grow in the knowledge of your love for us. How deep, how wide, how great, how overwhelming it is. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your grace would be incredibly tangible. The areas that we choose to be vulnerable in right now. The areas where we recognize that it's me and not the people around me. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would encounter those areas, not with condemnation, but with incredible love. We actually, we, we, we lock up the idea of condemnation. We, we bind it in the name of Jesus, knowing that, God, that's not what you give, but you give acceptance, grace, power, and love. So we release those things. I pray for the areas that, that we are making vulnerable right now, the areas where we recognize that, Holy Spirit, we need more of you. And I pray that you would open up our eyes to see in those situations where fruit is growing. Fruit rarely grows immediately into mature fruit. It usually starts with a tiny bud. And so Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see the tiny buds and improvements in ourselves and actually the people around us. Would you give us eyes to see people with amazing grace. And now for the rest of us, God, I pray for more. That we would grow in, in more love that we'd see more evidence. And Father, we want to see in our lives and around our lives signs, wonders, and miracles that confirm your gospel, Jesus. We want to see backs and, 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 and heads and all the areas of physical ailment healed in the name of Jesus. We want to see uh, uh, people who are spiritually dead come to life. We want to see your gospel move in power and evidence. And we pray, do it in us. Do it in me, Lord. More of you and less of me. We declare these things in your name. Amen. If you have any prayer requests, please contact. If you're watching online, the information below. If you're here and you want some people to pray for you, um, I'll be masked up and everything and available. Katie is there too. We would love to pray. Uh, but this morning as you go, go in the knowledge of God who loves you to no end. Go in that grace. Use that grace. Turn if you're going the wrong way. God is there. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning.